0: Hi, it's Dating Coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma Podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dr. Isaiah Henkel. Isaiah received his doctorate in anatomy and cell biology and is an expert on mental focus, behavioral psychology, and career development. He is the founder and CEO of Cheeky Scientist, a career training company that specializes in helping PhDs transition into corporate careers. He's also the director of Henkel Leadership. Isaiah is the author of several books including Black Hole Focus and The Science of Intelligent Achievement. Isaiah, can you tell me a little bit about your background and some of the projects you're working on?
1: Yeah, so my, my background is I I think uh, the best way to say it is just academia. I spent a, a long time over 20 years in academia. Um, I went to, on to get my my Ph.D. in anatomy and cell biology, specialized in immunology. And I bring that up because I think a lot of people can relate, no matter what level uh, you reach in academia. Uh, you know, at some point you you look around and say, I haven't really been trained in anything but book learning. I don't know how to get a job. I don't know. How to, uh, you know, conceptually think about what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't think we spend a lot of time in, not in academia, no matter what level you reach. And that's kind of what led, has led to a lot of the projects that I'm working on today, whether it's, you know, some of the books that have been published, uh, dealing with purpose and focus and, you know, building, uh, your own business and, and a lot of the projects that I'm working on right now with, uh, in particular, Cheeky Scientist which really focuses on helping academics get into industry jobs.
0: Let's start with that. Cheeky scientist, explain what it is. What was your motivation for building it?
1: Yeah, have, pain is the, the best motivator. So I, I went through a very difficult time uh, towards the end of my academic career. I was a couple of years away from getting my PhD. And, and uh, when you're in a system, you tend to follow the path that system sets before you. Or at least that's what I did, and I, I think you have to kind of train yourself to to take your life in your own hands at some point. But a lot of us, again, we go through this academic system. We think if we keep checking the boxes, moving forward, we're going to end up somewhere safe, somewhere successful. And for me, that was being a professor. I didn't look at any of the data myself. I never really evaluated things closely until about two years, uh, you know, before I was done, and and I saw that ten-year professorships, professorships in general, were. All but extinct. Uh, There's kind of a a big, kind of something similar to the mortgage crisis is what's going on in academia right now. Except for instead of subprime loans being propped up, it's it's professorships and with uh, with a a um, class of PhDs called postdocs. So you get your PhD, then you go to a postdoc. You get paid about a third uh, of what you'd be paid in industry. Uh, very low, about $30,000. Most people don't go to become a doctor to get paid $30,000 a year. They don't know this. That, that, all this stuff is what, I kind of, what kind of hit me all at once. And I realized, wow, that path isn't there for me. I have no plan B. I don't even know what else is out there. Uh, I kind of had this sinking heavy feeling, and I think this is the feeling that a lot of people reach at certain uh, critical points in their life when they realize that everything that they've built up was built on... You know, essentially a house of cards, not a very stable foundation. Because they didn't build it; they were just following what other people were doing. They were just, um, you know, towing the line instead of digging in and doing the hard work of, of of determining what they, as an individual, want for their future. So that's what happened to me. The the black box that I didn't that I wanted to see into was, you know, how to get a job outside of academia. And I realized that most PhDs had no insight into this black box either. So that's where Cheeky Scientist came out of. It was, uh, uh, just came out of helping PhDs understand how to get a job, a, a very practical skill that most people are never taught, how to get an actual job in business, and we call it industry um, in, in academia. So that's, that's where kind of the mission of Cheeky Scientist came from.
0: What did you discover and what were the biggest gaps in knowledge between people who finished formal education and uh, getting jobs in industry? Great question. I think the gap came in terms of
1: confidence, right? And I, I think this is something a lot of people face. Like we excel in one area and we have all these skills in this particular area, no matter what it is, right? The, the first thing that you become good at. And for an academic, you know, it's academia uh, for a PhD. It's it could be, you know, for especially for STEM PhDs, science, technology, engineering and math, it could be working in a lab or, you know, programming, you know, a computer program. And you get really good at that skill set. So good at it that you don't spend any time doing anything else. And because of that, you think that you suck at everything else. Uh, and you don't, you never tell us to anybody because you excel so highly in one area. But there's this uncertainty that you can apply the skills that you've learned or that you even have any skills outside of your specialty. And so that's what it was. And so giving, in this case, PhDs, and I think for the larger population, it's any people, you know, giving people confidence that they can take what they've learned their strengths and apply it to any field that they want that's that's really what what it came down to
0: <laughs> this makes me think i one point, i was dating this girl she had a lot of grief for columbia an mba from harvard i mean you don't really get very much more educated than that and i remember uh i was with her and she was saying i i can't do anything <laughs> and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about you're like (laughs) you have so many amazing skill sets but she just like she didn't she was so specialized she didn't she didn't realize she could do anything else
1: yeah and it's really just it's a it's changing their perspective and it would be just just like changing your or my perspective like we get really good at one thing and it's, it's like the curse of knowledge. You get great at that. All you can see is what you do. You can't see everything else. You can't even see how you can apply the skills that you've learned in that special area to everything else. Every skill is transferable. Um, you, you've learned to communicate at the highest level in, in science, or you know, like your, your example, uh, someone from Harvard, et cetera. You can certainly apply those communication skills elsewhere. Also, learning is a skill. If you can learn at the highest level in one special area, you can learn at the highest level in any other special area. It's just people forget that. And I also think there's a lot, you know, uncertainty is one of the most difficult things to deal with in life. And when you become so certain at your ability in one area, it's almost like a drug. Like you know that you own that area, you can do it, you feel confident, you're respected in that area. And then somebody says, okay, now you're gonna go over to this area where you're not respected, you haven't done it yet. All of this uncertainty, people, they shy away from that. And that's what keeps them from continuing to grow, keeps them from careers, it keeps them from really what their biggest goals
0: are. I remember years ago I read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Mm, Did you ever read that? Yeah, great book. Yeah, yeah, sort of that reminds me of that, just this idea that this mouse has got to go back in and find the cheese again. And this happens in relationships, life. But it's an interesting point that you bring up because we tend to build as human beings, or at least in my observations with myself and others, we build narratives around uh, around certain things we're good at or things we're bad at. We attach and, and hold on and grab things that we are good at. Um, we build our ego around them. And this can help us in certain ways. But then at some some points in our life, especially in, in periods of change, which inevitably happen, it can become difficult. It becomes a constraint. And, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting um, to hear you talk about that from an academic standpoint. Somebody builds up their – they build up their – uh, capacity to be really good at something, and then they become scared to to try something else because they don't feel as as proficient. And I mean, if we did this as kids, we would never fucking learn anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, we would stop when we got really good at one thing. And I, I think that you know it applies not just obviously to to academia, et cetera. And I like that you, the fact that you brought up narratives because we do tell ourselves these stories th- that tie into our identity. And identity is a very powerful thing, right? And so for for the academic example, I am an academic PhD and that's who I am. And in breaking away from that, we see that as a really difficult thing. They, they feel like they're selling out or like they're turning over to the dark side. Uh, there's a lot of limiting beliefs that get tied up into those narratives too. Like we always talk about you can either, you know, be work in academia and do noble work or, you can sell out and make a lot of money in industry, and we try to turn that or into an and, right? So you can you can do meaningful work and be paid well for it. And I think if you could, you know, if we could teach people to do that in their everyday lives more and more, it's important. I mean, I used to be the I used to be the person. My parents were uh, they got divorced. They had a difficult marriage, and so I was the person that my identity was like. I am never getting married. I'm never even going to fully commit to a relationship. And that was my identity. That's the story that I told myself. And I had this limiting belief. Like I can be either very successful in life or I can get married. (laughs) Right. And that was, that was my story. That was the limiting belief that I had. And that was, uh, it became my identity. Identity is such a powerful force that it it, it had a hold on me for a long time. And it, it took a lot of work to come out of that and to realize that that can be an and you can have both.
0: Can you expand on that? Like, uh, I mean, share a little bit with your personal story and what that journey was like and what you discovered.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, the the path is very similar to the path that led me to starting Cheeky Scientist. There's always this event, this event that happens in life. For some people, it could be a divorce, it could be a, a health scare, it could be losing a loved one. This event happens and it makes you question things. And it'll make you question different things at different times. You know, I've had a couple of these events. One time, it made me question like my my route in life as an academic. And the answer was, wow, I really need to change paths here. And I really want to, I want to publish a book. I want to uh, start my own business. I want to do these things. But I've had a similar event where the answer was totally different. It made me question things. And the answer was, well, wow, I really do want to have a long-term meaningful relationship. I actually do want to have kids. And so you have to listen to those answers that come up within you when you go through those difficult times. You have to take, you have to create space during those times to ask questions, to say, okay, why do I feel the way that I do? Why is my world turned upside down here? Because a lot of people go through intensely difficult things and they make it through and they don't change course. So if you're going through something where it's turning your world upside down, you feel like you need to change course, etc. you need to think during that time. And what, what I've done, and not because I was very knowledgeable or whatever, it just worked out this way, is when life has hit me like that in the face really hard, I've slowed down and I tend to move very fast, always trying to do the next thing, but I've slowed down. I've experimented, right? I go through almost a phase of like discovery. you know, one time, you know after after a health scare I, I went to a book club for the first time, like a physical book club where you meet with other people. I remember the life of Pi was the book. I only went one session. Um, I, I went to a book club. I started golfing. I, I took flying lessons. I did a bunch of things. About 30% of the things that I tried stuck, and I continued to do, and there were like new great things in my life. The other, the other, you know, 60% or so, I stopped doing. But during that time, it, it opened my mind to new possibilities. It helped me hear new questions of what I might be missing. And then the answers started to come into my life, and I just had to listen to them. And for this, you know, to, to bring it full circle to what we were talking about, I had one of those experiences, and what came to me over and over again was, I really do want to have kids like it was it, it just was a, a, a really important thing and it probably was always really important it probably was just buried by a lot of other goals at the time and you know that answer kept, kept coming back and then the answer of getting in a long-term committed relationship kept coming back and I didn't know how to do it right all of this uncertainty also things like developmental things from my past like my parents that I just told you about kept coming up and making me less confident and I just had to keep leaning into it and taking one little step at a time, and I had to stay committed, right? So there's, I think people underestimate the power of resolve, and when we hear things like you can really do anything you set your mind to, etc., they sound nice, but unless you've gone through a period in your life where you've said, this is happening no matter what, I don't care if I die climbing this mountain, I don't care what happens, this is happening, I'm not changing. The world around me will change or it'll bring me down, but this is the new path that I'm on. And that's the kind of resolve that you have to get get to that's really hard to define in life. And once you do that, you know that's when big changes happen to your identity because really you're fighting your identity. I was fighting the last 30 years of my life of who I was. And to break that, it takes a level of commitment that most people will only experience a couple times in their life.
0: So many different things come up that I want to ask you about. Um, other than resolve, is there anything else that tools that you've acquired that will help you break, uh, helped you break that pattern or some of these patterns?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it comes down to filling uh, your needs consistently so that you can keep going. And it also takes being very, very gentle with yourself. And it takes Data, <laughs> responding to feedback, and so I'll dig into each of those. So the needs people have a variety of needs, and a lot of people have discussed, you know, what these human needs are, um, and we're talking, we're going beyond, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where it's like the physical needs. In today's world, I always tell people, look, you don't even need to work; you can be happy, especially if you're in a third world country, um, you know, staying in a, uh, a co-residence uh, location going to a co-working space or, heck, a, a Starbucks, you have free Wi-Fi, you can write, you can, fuf- you can achieve all kinds of levels of fulfillment very, very inexpensively. You can get free food almost anywhere, it's so easy. And so the problem that you're gonna have is not meeting your physical needs, the problem you're gonna have is meeting your psychological needs. And the, every you know, there's been a, uh, people at Harvard, since we brought up Harvard again, that have written about our, our needs uh, at a psychological level. Uh, people like Tony Robbins have written about those needs. If you reduce all of them, they come down to essentially three things. Growth, autonomy, and connection. And what I like about this, the model of needs is, is that anytime you're experiencing pain in your life, it's simply because you're not meeting one of those needs. You know, I call them prime needs. For example, I, my, one of my first jobs after academia, I traveled all the time. I was like George Clooney and up in the air. And I traveled over 300,000 miles in one year. I had 284 hotel stays in a single year. It was amazing. I loved it because I was finally, you know, outside of the lab and I was, you know, getting to move around the world. It was great. However, towards the end of that year, I started feeling intensely lonely because I was always traveling by myself. There was nobody to share this experience with. I became like a diamond member of all these programs. I'd get these huge suites, et cetera. But who cared because there was nobody to share that experience with. So I was feeling pain because my my autonomy bucket was overflowing, but my connection bucket was too low. You know, also, you know, the pain that most of us can identify with very, very readily is if you're not where you thought you would be in any area of your life, you're experiencing the pain of not growing, right? Not growing fast enough. Growth is, is the most powerful of the prime needs. And really pure happiness is growing in every area of your life at all the time, at all different times. And this is why it's so important to take on multiple pursuits so that you can always have a sense of growth. But those needs, you know, are crucial. And if you're feeling pain in your life, it's because you're not meeting those needs. So I got in touch with what those needs were, and I started asking myself, okay, I'm uncomfortable today, I'm not happy today, I'm feeling this way, right? Asking myself, and I don't, I, I'm not a feeler, <laughs> I'm more of a thinker, right? So learning to ask myself, okay, what what are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? And then answering it with, oh, it's because, you have no connection you haven't seen your family in a while you haven't hung out with friends etc or you need some space right now we've all experienced that i'm being suffocated by the people around me i need some space i need some autonomy or i haven't experienced a sense of growth because i'm not actually measuring my growth i'm just going to the gym and i'm not recording like my sets and my reps to see that i'm actually growing in strength i'm not recording you know what i'm eating to see that i'm eating healthier i'm not recording any progress in my business i'm not even looking at my P L. right so it helps in terms of Identifying the cause, right, and causality is so important to humans. So that's that's the first one. So that's that's the needs. And then the the one of the the second things that I that really helped me was uh, looking at the data, right. So everything can be measured, and if if it gets measured, it gets managed. I believe that's paraphrasing Munger, a uh, a famous uh, business theorist and and and, and practical uh, person, uh, person too. So the the idea is. A lot of us experience pain in life because we don't want to do the hard work of actually measuring our progress and if we do measure it we do a pretty pretty sad job of it. I'll give you an example. A lot of people want to get in better shape and this was me too. So we follow fads. We follow fads like bulletproof coffee or like the keto diet or you know just not you know the paleo diet, not having grains, etc. all these different things. And I started following a lot of these fads and you know they would help in a sense but they would never take me to the level of health that I wanted to achieve. And it's because they were, there, was, there was no data to follow. They were just like, don't do this or do this, etc. But if you, started, if you look at the data, you can get much more granular, and you, got, you have to get granular if you want to grow. And so the example with like health and fitness and stuff is, once I started counting my macros every day, which is the biggest pain in the ass in the world, like literally every day you have to count – how many grams of fat, how many grams of protein, and how many grams of carbohydrates that you have. And so you can imagine, this takes a while to to form a habit. But once I did this, I mean, the results are astounding. And I did it because I saw a couple of people that happened to work in the same office building as me. They lost like 100 pounds and completely transformed their body composition. I was like, what are you doing? They talked about counting their macros. I was like, nope, forget it. (laughs) Too much work. But once I started doing it, the results were amazing in every area. It's not just that, my business. I was running like a lifestyle business based on, you know, basically my personality. I wasn't really looking at anything. I wasn't looking at becoming an expert in, in marketing. I wasn't looking at becoming an expert writer. I was just trying things and I was following fads, right? I was following fads that were online about, you know, social media marketing or membership sites, et cetera. Once I started looking at the data, I started looking at, you know, metrics that actually mattered. For example. How much money did I have to spend to acquire a new follower? How much money did I have to spend to acquire a a new client, just so I could help that client? Um, Once I learned how to read a profit and loss statement and beyond that, once I learned how to start forecasting for my business, looking at the numbers all the time, weekly if not daily, the results were dramatic. When I went through a health crisis, once I actually got over the fear and just stopped like wishing things would get better, that I would feel better, I started reading as many articles as I could find, the most recent articles on my specific condition, and I found data that showed me you know, what the likelihood of XYZ treatment is paying off, or how I needed to adjust what I was eating, et cetera. Look at the data, and it's something that is more abundant than ever, but again, people are lazy by nature. They're like, oh, I got to sit down and like, read through data. I hate it. Have you ever seen the movie The, uh, the Big Short? Uh, I don't know if
0: I have, but explain for us.
1: Yeah, so The Big Short is about – because I brought it up earlier. It's on my mind. It's about the, the mortgage crisis, and it has, like, Ryan Gosling and Brad Pitt and Steve Carell, all these guys. It's actually – it's a funny movie but uh, but a great movie, uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale plays this character who's kind of like a, a, a PhD in a lot of senses. He uh, reads a lot of data. He's kind of an introvert, etc. Anyway, he is one of, like, three or four people that actually knew – about the mortgage crisis coming, and did something about it. So he shorted it. He basically bet against the housing market, which very few people have ever bet on in history, because there's never, you know, it's always gone up until until before 2008. Anyway, uh, there's this scene where a guy, where he says, "I'm going to." He goes to a bank and he says, "I want to bet against the housing market," and they're all look at look at him like he's crazy. And they said, "Why do you want to do this?" And he said, "Well, I read all of the." Mortgage, uh, the mortgage details for every single mortgage um, in the United States, and they're like, "You read every single mortgage contract in the U.S.?" And he's like, "Yeah," and that's it. And and it's that's what it comes down to is if you if you take the time to look at the data, which actually requires sitting still and focusing for you know an hour a day, right? Something most people don't cannot do anymore, or have a very difficult time doing. You can dig into the data. You can make decisions based on the data, and you can radically, radically transform your life.
0: I think this is a great transition. Let's talk a little bit about uh, black hole focus because it, we're we're sort of shifting into the idea of focus. So, can you talk a little bit about your motivation for, for writing that book, and and we'll get we'll get deeper into focus.
1: Yeah. So, so black hole Fo- focus came out uh, came out of a time where I was just getting out of academia, and I was writing it in real time as I was going through this transition from academia, from completely losing my purpose and saying goodbye to a career that I had spent my whole life building. And it was this time where a lot had happened. I had a, a, a health crisis brought about by stress um, from from being in a lab with a very difficult um, advisor, essentially, it's, it's your boss at the time. and. Not knowing what I was going to do next, you know, very, you know, a lot of PhDs, and this happens to a lot of very driven people, is we put we throw ourselves into everything, um, and we we give everything that we have. But sometimes we get so focused on what we're doing, and who we're trying to keep up with, and and being the best that we can be, um, surrounded by everybody that's around us, um, or the best compared to them that we don't actually know where we're going and we don't actually know if it's the right place for us and that's where I was really at uh, for this book and and so what I did is I, I, I bought this book called how to how to blog a book <laughs> it's this little like 100 page book and so I started blogging every day about purpose it's all that was on my mind is like what is my actual purpose what's what's my overarching focus here and have a, have I been the one to decide it so far the answer was no so I went through this process of of asking myself and trying to deconstruct what is purpose. It's kind of a fluffy term, right? We hear like "find your purpose," you know. And I, I think of like people going and meditating in a field and uh, achieving enlightenment or something. And and that didn't really resonate with me, you know. Kind of as a PhD, I was like, "There's got to be, there's got to be some data behind this. There's got to be a way to break this down into a step-by-step how, like a methodology, a protocol, as we would call it in academia." So I started to deconstruct what a purpose was, and I. I found that you know, in in a general sense, sense in terms of describing it, it's a who, what, how, and why. You know, we, I talked a little bit about the why already. The why really comes back to filling those three prime needs, right? Your purpose needs to fill up those needs all the time for you. Autonomy—it's got to provide autonomy. It's got to provide connection. It's got to provide growth. You know, the what became Wait,
0: autonomy or economy.
1: Sorry, autonomy.
0: Autonomy. Okay, so I misheard you the first time. Keep going.
1: Yeah, autonomy. So, being able to have the freedom to do what you want when you want, like a sense of control—not bad control, but sense of being able to control your environment, your your future, your destiny. Um, uh, being able to do things on your own. So, autonomy, connection, growth. That—that that was that was the really the driver in terms of the why. Like people experience pain and pleasure in life. If you're experiencing pain, it's because you're not meeting some of those needs. And pain is a much more powerful motivator than pleasure. Um, So understanding that why was important. On the other end of it was the what. Like what do you actually want to achieve? How do you define that? And I found the best way to figure that out is to map out your perfect day. And the perfect day is, again, it sounds a little bit fluffy, but if you can take a day five to ten years from now and, and map out what that day would look like, even if it's an average day during a week when you achieve kind of that that nirvana of what you want your life to be, it's a very powerful thing because it, it's it's very granular and you can tweak it. And the key is stepping outside of your current identity. I tell a lot of people to create their perfect day and what they do is they take their current day and they like add an extra hour of lunch or like an extra hour in the evening with their kids. And I'm like, that's your perfect day. And that is the problem with human beings. We trickle forward. We take a reference point that we have now, reference points are powerful. Uh, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize in Economics, his books Thinking Fast and Slow, because he defined how important reference points are for every decision that we make, economics or otherwise. So if your reference point is your current day and you're using that to create your perfect day, it's gonna be a pretty sad perfect day. Instead, you need to step outside of yourself, your current identity, even create a, like an alter ego name for yourself and create a perfect day for that person. An example is, uh, I did this at a workshop, somebody who they added an extra hour of meditation, like for lunch and an extra hour in the evening. That was a perfect day. I said, really? I was like, what about all these sections here where you're working in an office? Like, what about this section here where you're still taking calls? Can't you have an entire team of people doing that while you're on a beach? Like why, why do you have to show up to the office at all? if This is your perfect day. And it was like this light bulb moment. And it's always a light bulb moment when I, when we walk people through this. That person's perfect day, once he was able to break outside of his current identity, his current uh, reference point, started like this. He said, I wake up. A chef has made me a breakfast um, for me that's um, that's healthy but also something new every day. I eat the breakfast with my wife. We're on the beach, huge glass windows. I walk outside. There's there's two jet skis waiting. We go on these jet skis for for whatever, an hour, and then we go for a run on the beach, et cetera, et cetera. And then at night we play capture the flag with a bunch of friends with night vision goggles, like basically all this stuff that was just pure fun. And there was like a couple of hours where he was like taking calls and directing his team who was in the office. The reason this is important is because most people never define where they want to go. And if you don't define it, you can never hit it. It doesn't, how, how, doesn't matter how smart, how intelligent, how driven you are you can't hit a target you don't set. Okay, so that's the what. And then if you work backwards from there and I'll go a little bit quicker here, the the second part of that what is your outcomes. Like what big outcomes, 3, 5, 10-year outcomes do you need to achieve in order to make that perfect day possible? And then you align those outcomes with your perfect day. Yeah, and that's a crucial part because a lot of people, they'll create out they'll create big goals and they never think about how those goals look on a day-to-day basis or vice versa. They'll create a perfect day and they never think about the big goals that'll get them there. So an example of a goal might be, I want to, you know, have $200,000 in my bank account. Uh, Okay. But what do you want to do with that? What's that going to allow you to do? How is that going to enable your perfect day? Simple example. Something else might be, I want to be, I want to be married, right? That's a, that's a big outcome, a big goal. But then their perfect day, they're doing everything by themselves, (laughs) right? So there's a gap there. So they have to adjust one or the other. Either that's not really the big outcome they want to achieve, or it is, and they need to start thinking of their perfect day in terms of being married. And so that is a crucial alignment point. And then you have to align all of these things. The what, the who, right, is very close to the what. The who really is your perfect day. That's who you are. What you do on a day-to-day basis, your daily actions, which are tied to your daily feelings, that's your who. The what are those big outcomes you want to achieve, right? The the typical, the, the goals that we, we think of quite often in, in society. And we talked about the why, which needs to be aligned too, but then there's the how. And the how is the, the most important part because it's the part that people forget about the most. How you want to live your life, how you need to live your life in order to achieve that what, in order to achieve who you want to be. And the how comes down to your priorities. A lot of people talk about values, and I think that's great, right? Values dictate how you, Live your life, right? You want to change your life, change your values. However, it doesn't talk about, you know, values, and it doesn't indicate um, a numbered priority. So I like to call them priorities, All right? So what are the priorities you're going to live your life by? And defining those priorities and which priority comes first, which comes second, matters immensely. You can imagine. We'll just take two priorities as an example. Person A, their number one priority is business. Their number two priority is relationships. Person B, their number one priority is relationships. Their number two priority is business. Are they gonna live very similar lives or very different lives? What do you think? Different lives. Yeah, completely different, right? Because every time relationships come up versus business, person A is gonna choose business, person B is gonna choose relationships. So defining that for yourself is important. Most of us are living by a set of priorities that we've never defined. So define the priorities that are currently dictating your life. And if you don't know where to look, just look where you're spending your time. Look at your uh, you know, your your credit card statements, where are you spending your money, right? Um, those two things will indicate what you're really making a priority in your life. And once you know what your current priorities are, you can then change them to the priorities that they need to be for you to get to your new outcomes, for you to get to your perfect day.
0: Dating coach Chris Dunne here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristman.com, create account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I mean, there, there's so many things that come up as you, you're talking that like, I connect to other things. Um, one is, and I'm, I'll take a few steps back and then we'll go back, but we're deeper down this black hole of focus. So many times as human beings, or so often with as hum- human beings, we figure out something that works because either it's worked for us in the past or we watch it work for somebody else. And then we just try to run that algorithm and uh, use the example of going to school and getting a PhD, right? It might be education. It might be a career path. It might be a relationship path. It might- I mean, it could be uh, lots of different things, but we we start running this algorithm and, and, uh, we don't really think at some point we, I feel like as human beings, we begin to think less about what we're doing and just kind of keep doing it. And at some point it doesn't necessarily serve us. And if you don't question that from time to time, eventually the world questions it (laughs) it for you. And, and, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but, um, the first part I think of, um, Plato's allegory in the cave, uh, or I think of uh, the movie, The Matrix, or I think of just like this idea that we have to sort of break out of this, break out and become uh, conscious, or something happens that uh, makes us conscious. With professorships in particular, I kept thinking of the idea of of that book, Blue Ocean Strategies. Did you ever Mm -hmm. read that book? Yeah. And just how like people get into these mature industries and I see it in New York City with my friends who are in law or uh, investment banking, or they really work horrible fucking hours. They have really shitty lives because they're trying to do the same thing, they're the same algorithm that I, a lot of other people have used, and it just it becomes really competitive. And you have to find a way to break out of that. And so I th- I thought about that as you were talking. I also thought about um the uh, the hero's journey, right? And so I I said a few minutes ago that the world sometimes will uh, shake things up for you. And you use the example of your relationship with your parents and love and your career. And, and uh, but like at some point there's like this, especially with the example used with cheeky scientists, like there's this realization or the, the, whether it's an internal voice or an external voice or something ha- like something happens in your life, it gets shaken up. And yeah, I thought of uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Right? And you begin this you begin this new journey where you're called to action and and uh and yeah, so I mean there's a lot of different things that I was associating connecting and thinking about um as you were talking, and I just i thought I would bring them up because sometimes and maybe I have different connections than uh, other people might make, but I found that it's really nice uh to have things that we sort of see a truth and we see a truth and then have somebody connect them for us or or associate these connections. And somebody, if you're listening to this, you might have some things that, that uh, come up for you. And if you do send them in and share them, I would love to see them. Um, but yeah, I I think this is some of the things that you're talking about really definitely resonate.
1: Now I was going to say a few things on that. I think that's, you know, especially that first question was one of the best questions I've ever been asked. Right. And I know what you're getting at. You're basically getting at you know how do you, how do you figure out what you don't know? Um, and there's a great phrase that I love you know you don't know what you don't know, and that's what keeps people locked in to that algorithm or to somebody else's algorithm. I think there's too much out there right now. Like I I get these quotes like you're the average of the five people you're around the most, and your network is your net worth, success leaves clues, blah blah blah. I think it's overstated because really. You don't want to be the average of the people in your environment or of your environment. You want your environment to be a product of you. You want to change your surroundings for the better. You don't want to merely be responsive to your surroundings. You don't want to follow an algorithm that somebody else has set because everybody is an N of one. So in science, your n value is a sample size. Now I talked about looking at data earlier and looking at data from, Uh, large sample sizes is really important because it helps you see trends. However, at the same time, and that's really kind of the quantitative side of, of getting feedback, there's also this qualitative side where you are an n of one. Every individual is a sample size of one and there's no one like you and there's never been anybody exactly like you. And this is why, you know, everybody wants to get in one camp or the other but it's really both. You have to look at the trends of large sample sizes of populations, you know, whether it's epidemiology studies that are looking at uh, how likely the flu virus is to affect you, et cetera. That is important data to look at, but you also have to look at the data inside of you. right? Whether you want to call it your inner voice or your instincts, whatever it is, that matters. And you're gonna feel things inside of you. You're gonna think things that nobody else is gonna be able to think for you or feel for you, and you have to listen to that. And you have to choose your own adversity. If you don't choose your own adversity, life will choose adversity for you because life is problems and as human beings we're always just looking for the next problem to solve and that's why one of the best uh, pieces of advice i can give you if you find yourself solving a problem that's not going to leave you anywhere is just to star- starve that problem stop putting energy into it right have selective focus choose a better problem you're going to look for a problem you're never not going to have problems in life life is going to give you problems unless your bucket's already full of the problems that you want to solve so choose your own adversity and, you know, if you're looking for a trigger to get yourself outside of that algorithm that you're talking about, outside of the matrix, or outside of the path that somebody set for you, you know, for, if it was, for me, it was my professorships, etc., start looking for good questions. Start changing the questions that you're answering yourself. You know, some of the best questions that I've heard recently is, you know, what am I not seeing? What am I not seeing, right? Other one is, I love this one too, is, what would this look like if it was easy? You know, a lot of times we overcomplicate things. We think, oh, it's going to be this big deal. We swell up a project, you know, five times larger than it needs to be. When really it could be done in a couple of hours. What would it look like if it's easy? Um, or on the reverse, you know, if maybe I'm thinking too small, right? How can I 100x this? It's a great question that I heard recently. What? Yeah, you're talking with your your team, or you're thinking about publishing a a book and maybe just having it be, you know, something self-published on Amazon. How can I 100x this? Right? What changes would I have to make to make this a New York Times bestseller? And so at the questions that you ask yourself is the best way to break free from the algorithm, from the matrix, or whatever uh, uh, metaphor you wanna use.
0: I like the way that you did that. I mean, you start by asking yourself, but then you start asking other people. As guys, it's oftentimes, for a lot of men, it's really difficult to ask for help, and that includes me from time to time. And and uh, But when you start getting those those outside perspectives, sometimes what I've realized is problems that were real, very difficult for me might not be very difficult for (laughs) somebody else in my social circle. (laughs) And uh, I think that's a very, very, very valid point. The other thing that I want to go back to that you said that um, I found really meaningful is just this idea of using data and in the sense that like, you used earlier, you're talking about diet books. Sometimes the, those are almost like the the general philosophy to, it's like a general set of rules that I'm going to try to apply to a set of circumstances, but oftentimes specific circumstances, like the growth comes where the, where the two, like two ends actually meet, right? And, and the data is not often that you're going to get really specific data to your personal specific situation from some outside general source. It's hard It's hard to iterate off general concepts when you're trying to solve a specific problem.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the end of one. If you want to get feedback from other people, get feedback. Uh, you know, it, it can help to have a sounding board because sometimes we can also get way out there in the clouds. Right. And we need to be grounded, not grounded as in playing small, but grounded as in, okay, will this plan or goal work? Right. When the rubber meets the road, like, will this, you know, actually get me to where I want to go? Having trusted advisors is important. You still have to be the CEO of your life. You still have to execute. You still have to be the one to make the decision. And you have to realize that half of the value of having advisors or asking for advice is, is, being able to say, no, that's completely wrong for me. Most of us are too agreeable. And there's a lot of studies that show the more, agreeab- more agreeable you are in general, the worse that you fare in life and in your career. Most of the, the most agreeable employees are the least likely to get into management positions. Right? So this is the same with your life. You can't just agree blindly to all the advice that's given out there and think like, Oh yeah, all these people know what's better for me, or there's more successful in this area. So I should listen. Now you're going to know in your gut, like if that advice is not good for you as it because you're an N of one and you need to be able to say no. Oftentimes one of the most important things that you can do to be able to gain clarity is to get away from everybody. Go on what I call as a relationship fast. And it's it's something that very few people do, but it's it's more important to do than ever in today's world, where we're all super connected.
0: Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, so we we you know going back to the needs we talked about, one of the needs is connection, and we are over connected in today's world. We're getting advice online from the news, Twitter feeds, you know, all kinds of social media, everything, uh, and and so our connection bucket is overflowing. We can connect with people, you know, more easily than ever before. But gaining autonomy, getting away from the constant pop-up ads, getting away from the constant advice, getting away from everyone who's telling us to live a certain way in whatever domain that we're in, that is becoming more and more difficult. And it's it becomes a crutch. Like it just becomes comfortable. You're connected, right? We get dopamine like science shows, we get massive dopamine hits in our brain when we hear a little bing, when we have a new email, right? We hear a little bing, we have a new text message. We hear, you know, we see little notifications popping up on our phone, et cetera. You need to get away from that you want you need to get away from the actual physical people in your life too and just like fasting food fasting you know they've discovered that not eating or drinking anything is actually very bad for you that's not the kind of fast you want to go on like right? doing this for like a month not eating food for a month not the kind of fast you want to go on however there are tremendous benefits scientifically to intermittent fasting or stopping eating certain kinds of foods for a while that's the kind of fasting i'm talking about can you go on a temporary fast maybe for it's for a couple of days maybe for it's for a week and stop talking to stop listening to the advice and the opinions and everything from the everyone that's in your life right of course you might have to go to work of course you know you might have to you're going to see like your family at home etc but can you just take some extra time to yourself to figure out what you want without all of the emotional pulls and pressures all the advice and all of the opinions. You know, maybe it's stepping away from a certain group of people for a while and figuring out, is my life actually better without that group? Sometimes you step away from a person or a group of people for like three or four days and you're like, I'm a much better person now. I'm living way better, making way smarter decisions. I, I feel better about myself. Ding, 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 that's an indication that maybe it's time to cut that person those people out of your life for good. But you can only gain that kind of clarity by going on a relationship fast.
0: Do you recommend a certain amount of time, or do you recommend, like, I mean, you recommend someone take a trip? Do you recommend they just take a break? They turn off the phone? What does this look and feel like?
1: Great question. You know, I think there are more and more things in today's world that can help you do this. You know, people take unplugged vacations. Uh, This is a great way to do it because you have a reason, right? So you can tell everybody, I'm going on an unplugged vacation. It's like a three day retreat. Uh, a lot of cities and, and states and countries have these options now where you go somewhere, there's no Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, there's, there's no connection for your phone, you spend a lot of time in nature. It's a great time to figure out what you actually want. Again, I'm not for the whole kind of kumbaya, whatever side of it, but I am for taking time to recenter your focus and decide what you want without the opinions, the emotional pulls of others. I think three days is is the right amount of time. I think you know if you can't get away on an unplugged vacation, tell people that you're gonna be very busy on a on a work project for the next three days, right? And, st- and spend all the time that you can extra with yourself only during that time. Not watching TV, not watching Netflix, but you in front of a pad of paper, reading some books, et cetera. Bill Gates used to have, uh, I think he still does it, his uh, famous Think Week, where it was like a, a week of just reading and taking notes and analyzing and, and deciding and refocusing on on where he's gonna go. An entire week out of the year. This is a, a billionaire that would do this. You need to do it for at least three days. You need to figure out where you're going. Ask some better questions.
0: Oh, well, that's great advice. I I know in my own life one of the things that I realized going back to the idea of using data is that I was way over connected and overstimulated. And so a few months back I started uh, blocking all the news sites. Started using this app called Focus um, on the new iPhone. I I uh, have limits on the amount of time and things that I can do. Blocked a lot of social apps. And what's that? At first, I wasn't sure how I'd react to I And mean, if I really need to unblock something, I can unblock it because there's some like crisis in the world. But generally, generally, it just created a massive amount of headspace. And even uh, the idea of meditating. I get up in the morning and meditate every just about every day. And it's almost a, a fast from thinking, and even just like ten ten minutes of that. Um, but uh, even the, use the example of retreats. I was at one uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before, and the weekend before that, and and uh, at least one of the two, like we didn't have phones at all. And it's amazing how much a little space has given me the ability to have immense more immensely more clarity, more more purpose. Um, uh, it also actually made me think of earlier about when we talked about goals and how we can sort of get filled with, uh, our day gets filled with goals. This process has allowed me to, uh, I used to make a list of things I needed to do each day and, and I would put everything I thought I needed to do on there and I found that oftentimes I was consuming my time with things that really weren't that important. And so uh, what I started doing instead was just jot down things that were the most important that I wanted to get done through the week. And then the second, I prioritized them. And then after I prioritized them, I put them into a list. So that way I was actually focusing on things that were worth my time. And um, I didn't need to put laundry and like calling certain people back and returning emails. Was just, that was just part of my day, but just like idea of having intent. So uh, I guess what I'm communicating to you is the things that you're talking about really resonate with me. And they're things that... In the process of my own journey, I've, I've, I'm discovering that i have had a huge impact. So I'm so thankful that you're bringing them up and sharing them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like what you bring up because it goes back to you know looking at the data. And you have set up things to block time, et cetera. But you also can you know use apps to track your online activity. I, I like to use you know Rescue Time or whatever. If you just go in and take a few minutes to adjust the settings on what is. Productive for you as in something that's going to get you to your goals and what's not and just in terms of the websites You're going to you set a couple of goals. It's so easy to see You know where you are trending in terms of are you getting closer to your goals? Are you spending more and more time on the productive things that are going to get you there or less and less time? You can do this with computer time. You can do it in your life, etc. And you're right like until you track things in that sense You have no idea what you're filling up your life with a lot of it's just garbage That's not going to help you
0: where do you get trapped? I, I know where I get trapped, but are there some places that you get trapped? You
1: know, one big thing for me is is that once the day starts, especially when you're running a business like you are, you're putting out fires all day long. And rightfully so, a big part of you know running an organization is de hassling your team and making sure that they can get everything done they need to get done, and that means you have to deal with things in real time. Uh, so where I get in trouble though is if I don't set aside a little bit of time for myself, You know, even if it's just an hour first thing to you know, uh, what's it called What Mark Twain call it? Swallowing the frog, right? Whatever the most difficult thing is that you need to do, the most important thing, even just 30 minutes, 15 minutes, like just set aside, do that one thing. So no matter what, you know, you got that one thing done. When I do that, the sense of calm and like certainty and centeredness that I get throughout the rest of the day is so much better than if I wake up and I'm putting out a fire on text message or email, etc. that's it. But I get in trouble there sometimes because there is like an urgent matter and I don't think I can say no to it, and I forget the fact that I can always say no, right? Unless somebody's literally on, you know, in the emergency room, I can always say no and say nope, these 15 minutes or these 30 minutes, I'm doing this one strategic thing that's really gonna move the needle, and then I'll put out all of these fires. And so setting a threshold for yourself can be really valuable too, right? Like is this a $2,000 decision? Only, only things where I could lose $2,000 or more, just as an example, is something that's gonna make me sacrifice that first 15 to 30 minutes that's just for me to do my most important item. why do you pick $2,000? I, I think it's, a, it's important to not make the, the amount too low and it's important to align those monetary goals with how much an hour of your time is worth. right? And Most of us drastically underestimate this. I think one of the most important things you can do, again, going back to data, is actually figuring out what an hour of your time is worth because a lot of us think very small and we think about saving money, but not saving time. We think about saving money or time, but not saving mental energy. Mental energy is your most valuable asset, and none of us think about that. I'll get a simple example: is anytime I have a friend, you know, who's buying a car, right? They'll they will spend in in most cases they'll spend like days, if not weeks, researching this car, doing everything they can to find out, make sure that they're saving you know, an extra $25 and 30 cents on this car by going to this location. That's, you know, two extra miles away. And they've done all these calls. They've done more research than they've ever done in their life for this call. If they took how much an hour of their time is worth and how many hours they've spent on it, they've spent as much as the car is worth just in their time. Even if you work an eight hour day making, you know, let's say an even number of, of hundred thousand dollars a year or, or less, let's say $80,000, $80,000 a year, right? I'll do this on my calculator real quick divided by, let's say, you know, 50, take two weeks off, let's say 52 weeks and divided by five, right? You're looking at like an hour of your time is, I think I have this right. It's a few hundred bucks, right? Very easily, a few hundred bucks. And have you actually thought about your time being that valuable? If you did, you'd probably make different decisions, you know? One, uh, one of my favorite articles that I've read recently is stop doing $10 an hour work when you're running a business, right? Or stop doing $10 an hour work when an hour of your time is $30 or $50, et cetera. Is there somebody else you could hire to do that? Is there someone else you could convince to do that? Um, Is there a way you could automate that process? So just, again, thinking in terms of the data and actually defining some of these things can make your life a lot easier.
0: That's awesome. I I want to be sensitive to your time because I, I know we're... We're sort of pushing the limits that we had set aside. Any last uh, tips, advice, words of wisdom? I want to get deeper into your books. Hopefully, we can have you come back and talk to you, uh, talk to us in more depth about your books. But before you go, is there anything you really want? Uh, words of wisdom you want to impart?
1: Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to listen to yourself. And if you're having trouble listening to yourself, go on a relationship fast. That being said, don't only listen to yourself. Make sure you're looking at the data, make sure you're looking at uh, what else could be out there. Ask yourself questions that will help you expand beyond that current algorithm or that current path that you're on uh, because you don't know what you don't know. So ask yourself, what are you not seeing? What would this look like if it was easy? And last but not least, I think the math actually worked out for $80,000 a year to about $40. But same point, right? Are you doing things that you'd have to pay somebody else $10 to do when you make $40 an hour. So start looking at ways to do things better, start looking at ways to track the data, and start looking at ways to really figure out what you want, not what somebody else wants for you.
0: This has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Isaiah, his work, his books, uh, all the things that he does, we're going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me.
1: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
0: It's dating coach Chris Lone here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.